and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Hi, everyone. Welcome back for another week of Challenges That Change Us. It is so great to have you here with us today. As we gear up for the Christmas season, I encourage you all to reflect on what truly matters to you. Take a moment to re-anchor and ground yourself amongst all the holiday chaos. I always emphasize that these upcoming months can manifest differently for each person. Some are super excited, others may feel indifferent, and for some, this may not be a very enjoyable time. So let's extend compassion and kindness to everyone around us recognizing that emotions during the season can vary widely. I have a treat for you today. You already know this fabulous guest from episode 60, Peter Holtman. We last discussed changing careers with no safety net. Peter was formerly a CEO of a global not-for-profit and he lived a high-paced, high-powered and high-performance life. He then made the brave and scary decision to step away and open his own business. The last episode was about that decision. This episode is about what has life looked like for him since then? What challenges has he faced in the last seven years of making that transition? Some of the questions that have been raised in his head have been, am I good enough? What value am I really bringing here? I mean, we all have those questions, right? This conversation today is like Peter and I have just sat down at a coffee shop and bantered for an hour. I have so much admiration when someone can let the walls down and have an honest conversation about the things that keep them up at night. It would have been a lot easier for Peter to come on here and talk about his genius lane and he is gold in that lane. Instead, he opens up his world of self-doubt, of vulnerability, coupled with his courage and his wisdom. If you are out there today wondering if you're in the right job, thinking about a career change, running your own business, then this episode is for you. Peter now runs Holtman Professional Services, a coaching-based consulting firm specializing in high risk and crisis. He draws from a lifetime of experience and expertise to help other people and organizations shine. Enjoy this episode, guys. Hey, Peter, thanks for coming on this afternoon to Challenges That Change Us for a second time. I know. Hey, Ali, how are you doing? Good to be back. We had Peter on for number 60. For those of you that haven't listened to that episode, it's Changing Careers with No Safety Net. Definitely press pause now and jump back and have a listen to that one. But we're going to be talking about something a little bit different today, and we will get into that in a moment. But as everyone knows, I love to ask an opening question. We've already done what animal best describes you, the bulldog, I think we chose. Absolutely. Yep. (laughs) But today I'm actually going to throw one at you. I'm going to get you to think about what was one of the most craziest situations that you have ever found yourself in? Oh, wow. Yikes. Well, I was working, of all places, on a pig farm. So, they're raising pigs for meat and 
that might be controversial to some people. Sorry for that in advance. But we're having a very serious conversation and we're about to walk into one of these pig areas, these pig sheds, and they and we're having a very deep conversation and they stopped me and they said, Peter, we have to stop you here. We're going through what they call a biosecurity area. You're going to have to step into this space. And it was basically a big open room with like a shower curtain in there. And they said, you're going to have to get naked. And I thought, uh, okay. <laughs> and uh, we're still talking. We're still talking business. We're still talking very serious. And here I am taking all my, all my clothes off, not just semi-naked. <laughs> this is full <laughs> naked in the middle of a business conversation. And then they said, okay, you're going to have to go and have a decontamination shower over there with everybody else. And so we're all standing in there naked, talking, having a decontamination shower. And then they give you the moon suit to put on at the end of it with nothing underneath, of course. So here you are, you know, just fresh out of a shower, decontamination shower, still talking, but then you put on this moon suit and you head in the other side. But I thought, what a weird way of having a business conversation, stuck naked, looking at the other person, talking about stuff and then going through decontamination. Crazy stuff. And with no warning by the sounds of it. Like that wasn't a, when you come, this is what you'll expect and be prepared. It was like, hey, just, you know, we're chatting about this and doing that. And just, by the way, can you strip naked and keep going? Yeah, basically. (laughs) I think it's a bit of a test for for newcomers type thing. (laughs) Interestingly enough, this isn't the first time I've had to do business meetings naked. That just, I don't know how it keeps happening, but it happens. I don't know how. Should we ask? At least three of them, let's say how many I've had, at least three of them have been in Japan in their, one of their onsu spas. So, yeah, it's been quite challenging, actually. And for them, you know, it's it's normal, natural. Everyone just walks around. It wasn't just Japan. I think it was in Korea as well. I've done a couple uh, as well. But uh, for the uninitiated, the unanointed, the very first times doing it is very challenging. You have to be really comfortable with yourself. I yeah. was just thinking, I don't know how I would go with that. If I was really honest, I'd be like, hmm. I'm not the right person for this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I think it just sort of taught me just to jump in because they, they don't think anything of it. The only person that's thinking anything of it is yourself at the end of the day. So, yeah, very confronting. Some people call it liberating. I don't know. It was just an odd situation. So, yeah. There's a part of me that kind of wants to just spend this whole episode talking about your experiences, like the interesting <laughs> ones, the wacky yes. ones, the, the oh, dangerous yeah. ones. I'm like, oh, do we really have to like talk about other stuff? But no, <laughs> mm. I promised you we weren't, we weren't going to go into this conversation that we're having today. And that is going to be around, you know, when we last spoke, we really spoke about that changing career piece, but mm. a lot's happened since then. You know, it's been almost, I think almost two years, not since we did the podcast, but since you left that career. Is that right? Mm, A little bit longer, actually. I think I've just ticked over the seven-year mark, actually. I was close. Yeah, yeah, very close. close, Research is spot on. Um, (laughs) 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 um, So, seven years, seven Seven years years ago. But what I wanted to chat about today in particular was kind of what's the new chapter look like and what are some of the challenges Mm. that you've faced now? And I guess a really yeah. good starting point for that would be why did you start your own business in the first place? I think out of a, a sense of wanting to escape a high-performing role and I think there's a point where those roles just get too much for too long. It's it's like every day running a sprint and it, you can't sustain it. So I think that was just the right time. But why not go back into another role for another organisation? Why do it for myself? I think I... 
I, I think as most people do, I think that's come out of uh, full-time employment working for yourself. You think you can do something better than maybe for the same audience than what you are doing as an employee and maybe you think that gives you more freedom to do things or, or more capacity or maybe even free up more time in your day. I think all of these things were running in my head whilst I was doing the the pros and cons and at the end of the day, I think when you're in those high-performing roles, you're thinking so fast and so far ahead that you're not really thinking about tomorrow. If you don't turn up to work tomorrow, what's that day look like when you – what time do you get out of bed? You know, this the simple things. What And, and what do you do next? And, uh, and then how do you start crafting yourself from there? It's interesting. I was listening, as you said, about some of the reasons that you thought about opening your own business. You said, you know, you might be able to do it better than what you've done, like with all the experience and expertise and the people you've met along the way, you know, can this be done a different way? Because when you work for someone else, we are constrained to some level usually as to how we operate. But the more freedom and the more capacity, it's definitely something I hear a lot of, you know. I think there's I don't know, like I have more freedom working for myself, but I also have a lot less freedom. Like it's kind of two sides to the coin. Yeah, I think you start figuring it that that equation out pretty damn quick in your first week, your first month, your first couple of months on the job is how hard do you need to work to sustain something that seemed quite normal before. And I think a lot of those subtle nuances like, well, guess what, Bass is coming in. I've got to do that. Hang on a minute. How do I calculate? Hang on. Did I actually plan for that? It's the things you really don't think about that all of a sudden, you know, you've, you've just got to do. I was just going to say, oh, for some, what is that? You know, <laughs> oh, <laughs> some yeah. they're even like, yeah. what is that word? <laughs> Absolutely. Or hang on a minute. I've got to get uh, professional indemnity insurance now. What do I need that for? I'm just a, I'm a consultant. Guess what? You need all of that stuff. Or have you thought about your work cover insurance? What, what are we talking about? So there's, there's things that jump up and smack you in the face pretty quick and pretty early on in the whole process. It's almost like I was thinking hidden costs, hidden timings and hidden knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And, and you know, these are actually the easiest things to overcome at the end of the day because there's process for it and there's systems and the government has has uh, something in place for it. But when you start thinking about what's your own personal relevance and, the, and your value statement and what are you offering to your clients, there is no process for that. And so that's probably the most confronting part out of all of it. And when you mentioned around the high-performance role and stepping away from that, there's a lot that goes into that. We spoke about as you were leading up to the decision, but what has it been like for you since making the decision? Yeah, uh, there's definitely a, a honeymoon period where it feels great to say, hmm, maybe I'll get out of bed at 10 today instead of 6 a.m. And, and give yourself a break. What becomes the reality quite quick is what am I supposed to be doing? Like normally there was some guidance. If you're in a high-performance role, normally there's some very thin layer of people above you that are guiding you to better performance or sustainable performance. When you're out by yourself, you mightn't have a team around you. It might be just you sitting around in your pyjamas in your lounge room, sitting in front of a laptop saying, what's next? And to some extent, that could have been me. I walked out with a few ideas and a few leads to, to get myself started. But there's a lot of people that have nothing when they first start 
I'm the world's worst marketer for myself. I don't. I've done so many things in so many places over so many years. I don't even know how to make a really good story out of that. You know, like you, you were saying before, we could just sit here all day unpicking little bits and pieces of life experiences I've had. But how do I convert that into something? And so, moving on seven years down the line, I think I'm still perfecting that, and I keep changing it along the way. Like, there's no like set point for this stuff. I think. You know, when I first came out, I, I wanted to be consulting and then I wanted to do coaching. Then I wanted to get back into lecturing. Then I wanted to do public speaking and things like that. There's no end point to it. And so I guess there's this, the reality is you're constantly reinventing yourself to, to suit a market need. And has that been challenging for you? When I hear that, I'm thinking, oh, there's lots of fun stuff in that, right? But there's also challenges that come with that. It, it's scary. Uh, it can be very, very scary. It's like, is it going to work? And what are you sounding it off against? Like if you're employed and if you're in a high-performing role, you've probably got at least four or five touch points in around you that can say that idea is too far for us or that's too crazy or, you know what, you've got, you've got the skills to do that. When you're sitting at home in your pyjamas in front of that, there's no touch point. So you're really relying on your strength, your internal strength and your own value, perception of value of yourself and some people, even when I'm working with clients now in coaching, some people don't even know what that is. I didn't know what it was for myself for the first couple of years, to be honest. I was just working on my strong technical skills to, to keep me rolling, not necessarily understanding what I am personally good at and what attracts people to me. I remember you talking about, and it's it, I'm going to bring it up because I've had at least 15 people say it to me since listening to your episode. You mentioned something around... If you're not sure what you're good at or what your strengths are, ask the people around you what they see in you. And I was thinking then when you said that, that that, that was a real gold nugget. Look, it really is. You, you can't build bridges by yourself. You can't reinvent yourself by yourself unless you're one of these incredibly self-focused, self-determined people. And, you know, there's examples of those out there. There's the Elon Musk's, there's the Richard Branson's, there's, you know, the Jeff Bezos's. All these people have an a, a incredible internal drive and know where they're headed. But there's a lot of us and maybe most of us that don't have that level of drive. And so you need people around you to say, this is what I see in you. You know, this is, this is where I see you at value. And I still... Seven years down the line, I still keep asking either my partner or close friends or those that I trust, I still keep asking that same question. What am I good at? What do you see me as adding value to? Because I get lost along the way. I still get lost. Am I on track? Do I still head the right way? You know, Is this really the career for me? And do you sometimes find what you think might be valuable, other people don't find as valuable and the things that you may not place as much emphasis on is actually what people take away and hold on to for a long time and find absolutely move them to the next point of where they're trying to go? Oh, yeah, this is a common problem with me. I'm an incredibly fast thinker and I'm a very long-range thinker and I'm talking to people about things that I'm seeing six months, 12 months, 18 months down the line. They're not there and so they don't, they can't connect the pictures with where they are today. And so there's this whole gap in vision between me and them. And I often have to find myself not backpedaling, but but reversing a lot of my steps to say, hang on a minute, I've missed bringing the most important people with me. And that's the audience that I'm trying to connect with because I'm 
building solutions to things they don't even know they need yet. And, and that's a problem, you know. You can be too fast or too inside yourself. You're not, you're not focusing on your market or where your best value lies. And when you said that question that looped around in your head around, is this going to work? I think that resonates, I know with me, but it will resonate with so many of our listeners on so many levels. How do you combat that? This is, I think this is the the $60 million question really, isn't it? Even in my coaching with a lot of my clients, and these are still people that are employed and have very successful roles, but want something different. They ask me the same questions of them, let alone me asking the question of myself. And the answers keep coming back to know yourself. You know, how will it work? Because you know what, what you're capable of doing, number one. And it doesn't mean you stay in that boundary all the time. The next thing is, so that's know what you're capable of doing. Next question you need to ask yourself and answer is, what am I comfortable challenging myself on? So how far can I challenge myself to stretch to the next level? So I'll, what does that really mean? I'll give you an example. I used to be a CEO running a global company, and then I was highly focused on CEO stuff. I wanted to go from that to being an executive coach. Now, most people might think, okay, that could be a natural progression because people want to learn about the success of CEO. But it doesn't mean because you've been a leader, you're going to be a good coach. You know, you, you've got to learn to reverse order things. When you're a leader, you talk too much, right? And you're trying to talk to drag people with you or bring people with you on a vision. When you're a coach, you have to listen. And so it's a total change and reinvent. And so when I talk about challenging yourself, I had to challenge myself to stop talking, which is unusual because look at me, I talk under wet cement, but to stop talking and to start listening to what people are trying to tell me. And that's, that still remains a challenge in my life today where I pick up a thread of what someone's saying and I want to finish the thread for them because I've thought so far ahead on it. So firstly, I guess, how will it work? It's, it's all about yourself and it's about knowing what you're capable of and then how far you want to challenge yourself. And you take small steps toward that. I mean, you don't go and jump off and, and get a loan from the bank for $100 million to, to set up a and Amazon, you know, you, you take small steps towards things. And then you start recognizing your accomplishments, no matter how small. Hey, guess what? I registered my business today. Hey, guess what? I, uh, I bought my insurances today. Hey, guess what? I spoke to three of my really close friends about what I'm really good at. And I wrote down six things from that. And I'm going to work on that to be my next plan going forward. It's small steps. And that's that's how I overcome a lot of these challenges. And I guess there's also that other element of is it going to work? That's that internal like questioning of yourself. Can mm. I do this, you know, and, and what do I need to do? I guess there's also that element of the external world. Is it going to work? Like are other people going to receive what I'm offering? Is it going to be valuable? Is there a market for it? Will they pay for it? Yeah, absolutely. And what we've got is this internal clock that tells us we should be at some point, at a particular point in time. And you become very impatient with yourself because you haven't hit that time. You've gone past the time. You're running late, so to speak. You haven't run early. You're running late. What you've really got to tell yourself is that the clocks are relevant. What really is relevant is what sort of feedback are you getting back out of others about 
you right now. When you're starting out, the thing you need most is not necessarily dollars in the bank. It's people aligning with your personal vision that you're setting. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I can see that's important. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, you're saying stuff that I really like. I don't want to hear more of it. That's what you're aiming for. It's not, well, I should have had $40,000 in the bank this month and I only brought in $10,000. That's not the point of you developing yourself. Money is an irrelevance in, in all of this when you're doing personal development. There's that element of when someone's sitting there going, I'm going to leave my career and start something on my own. There is, are you doing it with passion and personal development and wanting to have an impact? Or have you got to bring in the money to pay for your lifestyle, which we touched on last time, but there is that element. And I want to go there for a moment around what about the person that's sitting there listening to this conversation right now? They're sitting at their desk. They aren't very happy in their role anymore. They've either been there for a long time or they're unsatisfied or they just know that there's something else they want to be doing. But the, the barrier that keeps coming up for them is the money. Mm. Like how am I going to live my life? I don't think that's real cause. So what we talk about is extrinsic and intrinsic issues around this. These are the superficial things that sit above what really is the underlying cause. What we're really saying is do I have confidence in myself to deliver the same amount of money? or to deliver my lifestyle. It's not about that stuff. It's not about do I still sit in a house. It's about can I do the vision in my head? And so that's where you need to talk yourself up, your own innate abilities. Can you do it? Can Is the job you're doing fulfilling? No. Does it pay money? Yeah. But does it allow you to be you? No. So why do it? Because I need the money. But do you think you can still get money and be you at the same time? I don't know. So let's explore that. These are conversations that run in my head about me. I still today have days where I wake up in a little bit of a cold sweat thinking, oh, geez, I just thought about how much money I've got to fork out in bass and, and business tax and everything else. And I'm looking at my bank balance and I'm looking at what's to be invoiced in the month and they don't match. And I say, but is that what's really important? And then, you know what? This was, to be honest, this was me at the start of this week. I was thinking about this stuff. By the end of this week, I had four calls from four more distant clients that I've been working in over the last 12 months saying, we want you back. Guess what? The money situation just got covered and I'm just moving along. So it's not fate. I didn't put something out there into the universe and the universe answered. I think what it is, is it's slowing down that internal clock, that impatience and focusing on what's how do you promote yourself and how do you how do you do better at yourself to bring those people back into alignment with you? And so it's talking yourself back down off that precipice, you know, like you're, you're there and your toes are hanging off the edge of a very tall cliff and you think uh, you're probably feeling the butterflies in your stomach when I'm saying this sort of stuff, oh, the toes are hanging over the edge type stuff. Some people get really excited by that and do great things. Other people you know, jump backwards and curl up in a fetal position on the ground. What you've got to do is realize what that moment's telling you and harness that, harness that feeling to say, what am I good at? And, mm. uh, and that keeps you grounded as opposed to falling face forward over the cliff. Or retreating back and, and becoming frozen. Yeah, absolutely. It's just uh, it's realizing you can stand there, that you're balancing under your own weight, you're okay. 
Mm. And and I was thinking then I had one this week as well where it was like I had this great idea, I executed on it, and then I was standing there being like, now what? Yeah. Like that felt like such a great idea. I've done it, but I can't keep doing that. Like I need to now think of something new. And so there was this element where I sat in that space that you're talking about thinking, can I do that? Will people value it? Do I like where am I? And I'm really nervous and now I don't know what to do and I feel a bit like deer in headlights and taking those small action steps. Okay, well, what's just one thing I can do? Like if I'm only going to pick one tiny thing right now, what is that? Is it one phone call? Is it writing down a plan? Is it having a conversation and soundboarding, like you said earlier, with people that are advisory in our world? Just because you're out on your own in business doesn't mean you don't have an advisory board of some shape. It may not be an official one, but who are your people? Absolutely. That's. I just can't stress enough how important it is to have support around you. Even, like I said, seven years on, there's, there's still days where you really begin to wonder, should I just keep doing what I'm doing? And that's when you go back and ask people, am I still doing good stuff? Like last night, I was on a very late night remote workshop with with a whole bunch of high-profile people and I found myself pushing harder and harder into it. I was talking faster and faster and I wasn't pausing along the way to, to check the, the the message. And so then I had to stop at the end of it or I had to stop myself at the end and say, okay, that's enough. They've heard enough tonight. Thanks very much. And then I immediately went back to the person that set all this up and said, was that okay? Was I still on point there? Like did I go the wrong direction? Because I was now doubting that I actually delivered a good outcome. I know I do good work. I already know that. People ask for my work. People know that I'm an expert in a field and yet last night was just feeling like I pushed too far. And so I had to call these people and said, actually, no, the way it came across, it, it was direct, but it wasn't pushy and it wasn't conceited. It was probably the right amount of message for that audience. And so I still check, you know, I still, probably even after this session, I'll still go away and say, did I talk too much, you know, and, and was this the right thing to be doing? But a bit of that self-reflection is good for you, you know, a little bit of self-criticism helps you improve you. Yeah, definitely. And absolutely, it's the right conversation to be having and absolutely we're nailing it. (laughs) (laughs) What I was thinking though, I know when we've had previous chats, one of the areas we've spoken about, one of the other challenges that has kind of surfaced in this chapter is when you go from that high-performing role into another role, the world around you almost changes at times, you know, the way people receive you, the conversations that have had, the pace that you go at. What's been your experience in that space? Yeah, this is probably the scariest thing that happened with me is it felt like everything stood still because you're going from one high-speed, high-challenge moment to the next, to the next, to the next. And then all of a sudden, when you're out by yourself, they might not even be there. And so everything's now stood still and you're asking yourself, is this normal? You know, there's no lineup of meetings knocking on a door saying, you've got a 10, you've got a 10.15, you've got a 10.45 meeting and then you're going to get on a plane and go somewhere. Everything sort of comes to a halt and you wonder, is this what it meant to look like? Like it can can be a bit surreal. Like you're actually going back into what most people would consider normal life you know they get up they do a nine to five come home they're planning stuff to do with the kids on the weekend they're saving money for a holiday you might have come from a role where you've just blown through weekends because you're on a plane traveling or you've missed holidays and birthdays and important events because you're at a meeting somewhere and you think that's the right thing to do because you're doing doing good work and now all of a sudden 
all that's gone. There's no need to skip a weekend. There's no need to skip, uh, a, you know, someone's birthday. And so all of a sudden you're wondering, what fills this gap? You know, what, what should I be doing to fill it? And yet some people actually go into high-risk activities. Believe it or not, a lot of people could be taking drugs to maintain themselves at that feeling of, you know, high pace and euphoria. There's other people that take up a lot of drinking. There's a lot of other high-risk activities that people take on as well. And it's really easy to, I'm going to call it, collapse into that space. You know, it's, I don't know what to do with all this space around me, so I've got to fill it with something. That's a big deal. And that was a big deal for me. I don't know what I'm doing with this space. You know what? Seven years on, I'm actually grateful I can plan space because it helps me think about what I really want to do next, not just doing something to fill a hole. I'm planning what I want to do next. And that doesn't mean I'm working five days a week, six days a week. It could mean some weeks I work one day a week. Shock horror to a lot of people. But I'll be thinking the other four days about what I want to do for that one day and what happens after that. And that's okay. It's totally okay to do that. What did those early days look like for you when you talk about trying to fill that space? Can you take us back to those moments? Yeah. There was a lot of nervous energy and there was a lot of anxiety about should I be filling that? And because people aren't requesting me all the time, does that mean I'm not valuable anymore? Does it mean I'm not in demand anymore? And I think this is the other the other side of the poison chalice when, when you talk about these high-profile roles is people tend to pay lip service to you because you're in a high-profile role. They're almost polite to a point because they don't want to offend the, the high-performing, high-power person that's in the room. But when you stop doing that and they don't talk to you anymore because they don't have to talk to you, you now start thinking, what's wrong with me? What did I do? Or was I really such a bad person in that last role that people don't ever want to talk to me? And it's just a function of the role. I think that's something you've got to learn. You are a function of the role at that level. We talk in terms of like conflation, right, where you can't separate yourself from your role. You and the role are one. And when you talk about we, in a business sense, you're talking about you are the business, you own the business, you will be the business. That's not healthy, but that's just where you end up. So when all of that goes away, there is no we anymore. It's I or me sitting in a room by myself with no one knocking on the door. You probably have to go and make the next connection with the next person and build the relationships, whereas in those high-performing roles, sometimes it's given to you because of your position of power. People either want to meet with you or will expect that they have to meet with you because of it. And so those very early days for me, that was a big head trip on, and it definitely beats up your ego when people aren't phoning you saying, oh, hey, you, you know what, you really miss, can you come back and, and do some consulting on this or can you come and work with us or you, there's no calls for a period of time at least that was my experience I had to go and generate everything and then people were sort of saying oh let me get back to you or yeah that sounds okay but how's that going to work for me and you might not have been used to being challenged on those sorts of questions now you're being challenged on what are you doing here and you know I've got to pay for you now and that's damaging yeah and also when they ask that question in the early days, you can turn it straight into they don't want me. 
Oh, yeah. Instead of they don't want the product or it's not the right time or they don't have the right money, it's like, or they don't know what's in it for them, it's they don't want me. I'm not good enough. No, you're exactly right. And when you're inside an organisation, rejection tends to get diffused through the organisation, different roles. You can basically point fingers and blame other people for why you were rejected. When you're yourself, all of that's pointed back at you. And so you're absolutely right, Elliot. I've done something wrong. I've, I've been really bad at marketing myself or showing that I'm of value. And so your value statement can take many, many hits in the early days, very many hits. And so you've got to be resilient to those sorts of things. And did this come as a surprise to you? Is this something you're aware of as you walked into this section of your life and making the big change? Or was there a few like, whoa, I did not know this was coming? I want to say it's a bit of column A and column B there. I think there's some things I was expecting about some of these people aren't going to follow me. I'm not going to see these clients come knocking on my door. But there are other clients where I was almost self-assured myself that, yeah, sure, I don't even need to present proposals. I'll just call and they'll give me work. And it's like, hang on a minute, that didn't go according to plan. So, yeah, you, you run into these shock moments, which is, oh, oh, I, I didn't think I was going to encounter that. And, again, it's, it really hits your ego and your resilience quite quick. Some people, again, you're on the cliff edge with your toes curled up over the edge of it. Some people are going to fall backwards and curl up in a ball. Others might jump off or others might embrace that moment. And I chose to embrace it eventually. I, I realise that not everyone wants to work with me, but those that do want to work with me understand what the value is they're going to get from working with me. And that's where I want to open up a conversation is around the foundational blocks in those moments. Like now when you sit back and you look back through the last seven years, what are the key components or the key messages or the tools and strategies that you've used in those moments of self-doubt, in those moments of questioning your worth, in those moments of like, is this going to work kind of situations? I think the, the first and the most important one I had to do was realise that you're pushing too hard or you're leaning too hard into the problem, that the problem isn't as bad as you're making it, that you have to really pull yourself up. Some people even say it out loud. I, I never got to that stage, but I was definitely saying it in my head over and over, this isn't as bad as it seems. And that's the first, you need to arrest yourself from really spiraling down into a depressive state and saying, I, because I failed once, I'm going to keep failing. That's not necessarily the case. And it's a hard issue to fight. So that's number one is really pulling yourself up. And the next thing is to calm and slow things down. Not everything has to happen today. Not everything will need to happen tomorrow. And most likely most things won't have to happen by next month either, that things will almost organically move forward and that's okay you know not everything has to be heavily structured so you know pull yourself up calm yourself down and then sort of focus on what really needs to happen next what are the next maybe one or two things only that you need to focus on don't write out a laundry list of 5 10 20 things because that's going to wind you straight back up just keep it on what do i need to do next and focus on that and get that done and you might have to do this a hundred times over, but it's going to stop you from 
at least for me, I found it's going to stop you from getting so anxious and so wound up that you become paralysed and you don't do anything. So that was key for me. We're dipping our toes in some of this stuff, right? This is really where coaching can be really valuable because you can hold a mirror up to people. You can ask the questions that investigate, that are curious with the wisdom there to kind of know what questions to ask to unpack stuff. But when we think about you personally, Peter, when we think about your road and the journey you've been on, what would be another challenge you faced during this time? Well, I guess the the biggest thing that keeps hitting me from time to time is, is this it? Is this this career path I've chosen? Is this what I want to do until I can't work anymore? Because, you know, there's no potential retirement age because I run my own business, so to speak. So, is this it? Is this me? And not the work, but is this me, me? Is this, is this the image I want to keep presenting to people going forward? And what if you don't like it? Like, what if I don't? This is what I'm saying to myself. You know, what if I don't like what I'm doing? What if I don't like what I'm creating of myself for others what what the hell do i do next you know is is there a way out do i back out do i uh do i jump back in and become full-time employed again and forget about it and and lead a very easy life up to retirement these are questions that just jump around and around and around and you know i I don't know there's a an amazing answer to this stuff i think this ties back into am I still good enough at what I'm doing? Am I am I still adding value? And maybe it's a, it's a product of not getting enough feedback. Maybe I don't think that I'm getting enough feedback to say, Peter, this is this is you, and what you've created is the right option for you going forward. So yeah, this stuff weighs on me from time to time when I've got those thinking days that this stuff can creep in very quickly for me. What do you do when it creeps in and like once you've identified it, once you know what you're saying or that story that's going on in your head, what do you do with that? Yeah, I've got this question that I use for myself all the time, which is, and it just, it seems to work. It seems to diffuse things for me, but maybe it doesn't work for others, but it definitely works for me, which is, will I be thinking this way this time next year? So 12 months to the day from today, will I be still thinking this way and you know invariably the answer comes back no and in which case I say basically bugger it it's not that important and then I go on and I think about something else that seems to diffuse stuff for me I wonder what would happen if it comes back and the answer is yes (laughs) that's when you need another strategy that's when it's like okay maybe something needs to change here I need another question. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, just to put that in perspective, because I use a very similar question and and sometimes the answer does come back yes, especially when it's to do with medical. It's like, yeah, we'll still be thinking this if I am. And then my next question is, well, what what impact will that have or what would that mean or how would that translate so that I can actually think through that a little bit more and mm. just trying to put some measurable stuff around it because when you can measure it, you can manage it. So whether that be putting a number to the anxiety, putting a number to the problem, putting a number to the fear of what's going to happen because then you can be like, all right, it's a five, how do I get it to a three? Yeah, sure. Mm. That makes sense. I mean, if you talk about if we use your catchphrase, challenges that are changing us, this is the constant challenge for me, I guess, is this uh, is this reincarnation of me now, the final reincarnation, very Buddhist, I know, but is this my final reincarnation? And if so, am I happy with that? I guess I've been in business a little bit longer than seven years and I got to a place of saying I'll find something else. So my language to myself is 
well, if you're not doing this, you'll do something else. Like when I became a mom, I fell in love with gardening and cooking, which I didn't know how to cook anything. I didn't know a single plant, but I fell in love with that. And then I started to get back in the workforce. So I fell in love with something else. So I've had enough experiences along the way to know, because I haven't worked for others for so long, that there's always something else to fall in love with and be passionate about. It will just come along yeah. <laughs> or you'll create it. <laughs> I, I think that's right. I think I think there is a certain element of wait and see. You yeah. know, and then as that opportunity presents itself, grab it with both hands and don't let it go. But in the meantime, for me at least, be satisfied with where you are until that thing comes along because you've chosen this. You've chosen it for a reason. You know, you've chosen to leave a very secure, high-paying, high-performance role to be you. Just you, not to be a, a product of an organisation. You've gone out to be you. You've, you've gone to, you know, I've gone to become a consultant, a coach, you know, a trainer and those things. And I've done that for obviously good reason and for good cause. So like that until something else tells you to do something differently. Hey, everyone. I've got an amazing opportunity for all of us to meet face-to-face live in a room. Let's run a DISC personality profiling workshop for your team. Doesn't it suck as a leader when you feel like you're saying one thing, but it's not translating to your team? Or when a colleague does a task in a certain way that makes your jaw drop or your eye twitch? What is the one thing that your workplace needs right now to elevate your team's performance? It's a common language of communication. DISC is a simple yet powerful framework that helps us understand how your team responds, relates and behaves to one another. By the end of this workshop, you'll walk away with a step-by-step guide to effective communication and have some fun and some laughs with the team along the way. I'd recommend Ali. She's um, fantastic at what she does, but also brings a high level of passion and commitment to the program. It's just the simplicity of it. It's not overcomplicated. It's straightforward and it's analytical. The overwhelming feedback was that they thoroughly enjoyed it and came out with some really useful tools to be able to engage and to use in their um, work life and their home life. With over 40 years of research and testing, DISC is not just a buzzword. It is a time tested tool that delivers profound results. If you're ready to unlock your team's full potential, drive engagement and elevate performance, or perhaps just even a little bit curious about how this can help you, get in touch with me today via email or LinkedIn. Now back to challenges that change us. And just to shine a light on what you said earlier, which is what you're saying there, is your words I think were like, I could go back to the easy life, yet when you left it, didn't business feel like the easy life? Like it, this is that your greatest strength, your greatest weakness, the grass is greener where you water it, like looking over the fence. Like it always looks different when you look out somewhere else. But it's true, the grass is greener where we water it. The information oh, we put yeah. and the resources we put and the energy we put into where we are <laughs> is what makes the biggest difference. Yeah, perspective's a bitch, it really is. Yeah. You know, it's um it's it's all good. And so is hindsight, you know. Who yeah. invented those two words? I don't know. Go and <laughs> go and slap them. That's what I say. <laughs> I do want to ask though. What is coming up next? Because I know this probably feeds into a little of what we were just talking about. This is a stressor of a question for me, I, I guess, which is, is this my final incarnation? And here's what I found out about myself and, and my style of working. I, I find it's really easy for me to become judgmental and not deliberately and not negatively, but I find that I'm very quick to judge a situation that's pros and cons. And and then what I end up pointing out to, I guess, 
customers, clients, others is what's not working and that there's a better way of doing it. And I don't do that to put myself on a higher pedestal than them. I guess what I'm trying to do is lead them to a, a, a solution that works differently that's for their benefit. But I don't always find that I'm really articulate in explaining that to people. So I guess what I want to do is move myself out of being in such a judgmental role because a lot of what I do in consulting, assessing, and that talks about making judgments and making decisions and telling people where to go next and what to do. I think I'd much rather be in a position where I'm presenting people with information that they can choose to do something with. And I guess that in a very long verbose way is saying I'd like to be lecturing or, or, or at least presenting concepts to people and let them, the joy is in watching them form something from the knowledge. You know, you don't have to say always do it this way, you know. You do breaststroke with two arms instead of one and stuff like this. It's more about here's some information. Let's see what your potential does with it. And I think that's exciting stuff, thinking about that. Yeah, that's a bit of a change too, though. Yeah, you, you've got to build a lot of trust in the other person that they're, number one, listening to you, given that everyone's got such short attention spans these days, less than a bloody goldfish, believe it or not. I think we've got 2.9 seconds of attention span these days. So one, are they listening to you? Two, do they actually trust you? So you need to be really quite authentic in, in the message that you're giving. And three, do they trust you enough to try it? And then four, will they come back and tell you? So there's a whole lot of variables. And I think that's my challenge is how do I solve that four-part equation? Just to, to complicate that a little bit, there's also do they have enough trust in themselves to give it a crack? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, like coaching, uh, which is what I do, and unfortunately, I keep slipping into it in conversation, but coaching helps build others' confidence. But to a certain point here, they've got, as you rightly said, they've got to have trust and confidence in themselves to take on what you've told them. Sometimes you plant the seed and you never see it grow. Sometimes it might happen a lot of years later and you've got to be comfortable with that. So one final question is in the seven years that you've been working with others and coaching them, particularly around people that are stepping out of a high-performance role, a leadership role, a CEO role, what would you say is the most common challenge you see that they face? What I always encounter at first meeting them and then maybe in the first three or four sessions is trying to turn their ego down. And what that means is that you're trying to ask questions of them that their ego is masking them. In other words, they're coming to you like I'm another client that needs to be sold something. It's, it's I'm not trying to buy anything from them. I'm trying to unlock them. So I understand them and then work on them, not work on the work face that they're presenting. So a lot of the challenge is helping them turn that ego down and say, you know, I'm a little bit vulnerable and then me being able to respect that vulnerability and use that to build a new person. So the hardest part is just trying to get them to, to release some of it because, you know, being an ex-CEO, you still carry some ego with you in this stuff and like, oh, you know, I've, I've done this role and I've done that role and I don't want to be problem solving for them. Oh, well, you know, if you'd done it this way, have you considered that? That's not the point of bloody coaching. That's not my role. My role is to find them in amongst all of that is, you know, pull back a couple of curtains that they got in front of you and peer on the other side and say, oh, there you are. Let's talk to that person. And so that takes a lot of time and it's a big challenge. 
And I was thinking it also sometimes delays that initial results because it's doing the work. <laughs> and when you do the work, results are happening in the background, but they, they get you there faster in the long term because it's not a Band-Aid fix. However, if you're used to plug and result, plug and result, it can be a very different style of spending your time. Oh, yeah. These people, sometimes they come in and they expect a result after one session and you're still getting to know them and they're sort of, well, I didn't get anything from that. In fact, actually, I thought the session was kind of negative and said, well, it might have been confronting, it might have been challenging, but the only person that felt it was negative was yourself and maybe there was reasons behind why you felt negative, but don't run away. We're, we're getting somewhere. You know, In order to reach pay dirt or gold, you've got to dig through the top layer to get to it and that requires work and that's both of us getting there. And you, we learn more about ourselves in a moment of challenge or a moment of like difficulty or a moment that we're rubbing up against a value that doesn't match or a person that we find challenging. We learn more in that moment if we're prepared to open our hearts and look, open our eyes and look and open our hearts and feel. We learn so much more in that moment, but it's way easier to back out and turn the other way and go. Oh, yeah, every time. I mean, challenge is what makes us at the end of the day. It shows us what we're what we're capable of. It also shows us where our fears turn up about ourselves or about others around us. And it also shows us what we're prepared to do for something that we feel is right. And that's that's pretty important as well. Like if you're starting up a business, you're pretty passionate about something, right? Like I was really passionate about what I was doing and how far would I go to keep saying what I'm doing is right? And you know, that, that's it's pretty far, you know, like I'd, I'll get up and I'll challenge most people from previous industry about it, the paradigms in that industry because I don't think it was right and I'll still push on that. That might be the detriment of my business and, you know, by and large it happens on occasions, but there are people to say, you know, Peter's a straight shooter, you know, he's, he's not going to go in there and he's not going to gloss over this and we actually respect him for that because I believe in what I'm doing. So I've crafted myself to be more of an honest speaker and I've crafted myself not to hide behind some of those curtain layers that I'm talking about and to really turn my ego down. Like I don't have to be the most intelligent, the most important, the most powerful person in the room. Sometimes it's far more joy out of watching someone else step up and perform that might never have done it before. That's really rewarding. When you first go into that interaction or first go into that conversation, it can be like, oh, I want to give so much value, which is where that ego can come in because it's not about us. That's exactly right. You, you sort of try to over-deliver. Like, look at the 486 things I can do for you and I'm going to tell them to you in the next one and a half minutes and then which one do you want? And it's like, but all we did was invite you in for a coffee to understand who <laughs> you are, you know. <laughs> I just want to talk to you, not talk to your, your, your sales sheet, you know. So. <laughs> And I think I keep saying it's the final question, but I've got one more and it's a big one. Again, how does fear show up in your world? And when I say that, I don't necessarily mean what are the events or the triggers that cause it. I mean, someone that's around you, what will they notice in you? What will they see? I've got a very set pattern of what I do when I'm under stress or anxiety. First thing I do is I pace, is I walk around a lot. I'm not sitting, I can't sit down. I've got to move because that's how I move thoughts around. The next thing is I'm organizing things. Things have to be tidy and arranged and organized. And that's me compartmentalizing ideas. And, and that's the physical manifestation of it. I think the, the, the worst sides of this is I become very short and I become distracted and I'm not in that conversation. I try and 
problem solve the conversation that we're having. And there mightn't even be a problem in it, but I'll find one and I'll tell them, you know what, this is what it, and then I'll go off and I'll be back in their head again, you know, or I'll just become, I guess I'll become a cranky old man at the end of the day. It's, it's almost like I'm trying to release an idea. I, I wish I could say it's like giving birth because I can't do that, but I'm imagining it's the same sort of thing. You're under this pressure, you've got these pains and you're trying to release it from you. And I think that's what eventually it, it clicks, like I've got it. And then all of that goes away and I'm sort of returning back to normal. But the lead up to it is quite difficult for some people to watch or be around me because they can see it building and they know where it's going. So, in other words, just go and grab a cup of coffee and come back once he starts settling down. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) maybe. How did you become so self-aware? Like, where did that information come from? Oh, wow. That's a huge question, Ali. How did I become so self-aware? I don't think I was born with it, but I was definitely in a family that recognised the needs of others first. And so, why is that important in becoming self-aware? Because it shows when someone else is in need, what you're bringing to them that's going to impact that, positively or negatively. There's so many instances. Like my family was a open door. We lived in a two-bedroom house and we had a, like seven people living with us at one point that didn't have jobs, lost their family, were injured. I had three other or two people sleeping with me in my queen bed. That's you know that got to that stage. So you learn to share and you learn to give and you learn to open up. But how did I get to where I am now? I think it's gradual steps. I don't even know I'm doing it sometimes. I I think what I've learned to do is be more open with talking about it. That was the biggest thing. Maybe this was stuff that was always running through my head, but I would never say it. And maybe I would write it sometimes because I'm I'm quite good at, at writing, at creative writing. And then eventually it's turned into vocalizing it, which is the hardest thing to do. It's really easy to think things in your head. It gets harder to write it on paper. Now, imagine picking up that bit of paper and talking it to someone else in the room. This is you on paper coming out of your mouth. That's the hardest thing I think anyone can do is get to that point. And I I haven't mastered it. I still struggle with with a, a lot of really intimate things that are running through my head that are just impacting me. But I think it's just something I've become more and more comfortable with is being able to talk. You would have asked me to do this seven years ago. I probably wouldn't have got on this podcast and talked in this way. I would have been talking to you about how good I am at doing stuff at work, not about how good I am at learning about myself because that's what I'm doing now. It's all Mm. of these challenges is teaching me to learn about myself. And when you're talking about pulling things out of your head and putting on paper, that's what I talk about. You know, one of the strategies there is externalizing it because when it's in our head looping, 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 we don't actually have a lot of control over it and it kind of gets a mind of its own. So once it's out and it's on paper, it's a little more tangible. Whether you like it or not, you can deal with it. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's true. And when I talk about writing it down, you don't use a keyboard. It's too fast. The the mechanical act of holding a pen and writing on paper slows you down. You can't write as fast as you think. And so what it does is it slows, it keeps you focused on a thought on that line and on that paragraph and on that page. Whereas it's in your head, you can have, you know, 150,000 things going all at once. When you're writing, that mechanical act really slows you down and forces you to focus. So a good way of managing anxiety and stress and that is to write about it. 
pick up a bit of paper and write about it. Peter, throughout this whole conversation, I've heard this, like these two parts to your personality. There's like the EQ, the emotional intelligence side of you that's really about the people. And then there's a really results, like the IQ side, the more academic, the more results driven side of you. Is that a challenge to where you sit on with those two? And how do you manage that? Oh, yeah. This is a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type conversation that, that happens here. Seriously, this is this is a really interesting thing. I'd say the underlying me is what well, the work-based me is the IQ side, which is get it done, get results, show that you can really do it. But the, the other side that constantly derails that side, and not in a negative way, I actually think it's a good thing. I think it's actually the better thing to be a good leader is to be on that emotional quotient side is... You know, I can watch stuff on TV. The thing that really gets me, Ali, is watching people accomplish something or be successful and get accolade for it. I'll tear up like that. I can't stop it. Like I could be there. The Matildas winning the other night. I was almost bawling on the lounge because it was so. It felt so good to see someone accomplish something and to watch their emotion, that moment of realization that holy cow, look what I just did and that gets me every time it doesn't matter what it is it's it could be the smallest damn thing but it beats me up every time so i i constantly run this duality of personality i guess if i'm consulting i'm very much in the iq and the results driven side if i'm coaching i can get stuck into the eq side maybe a little bit too much sometimes and i maybe start to own other people's problems maybe a little bit too much but uh, I think the EQ is the learnt part of me and being a good leader, you will be using EQ far more than IQ uh, along the way. I can't stress this enough. In fact, next week, I've got to do a talk on what's the difference between being a manager and a leader and it's all around EQ. The whole thing is driven by EQ. Mm. And it's definitely, I think, when we get move up the ranks from our technical skills, often it's not supported in that space. Like I see so many leaders move up with their technical capacity and capability and not necessarily giving them the support they need in that space. It's crazy. They call it like hard skills and soft skills. Yeah. There's nothing soft <laughs> about EQ. In fact, it's the opposite. Yeah. EQ is the hardest thing you can ever do is to be authentic and to be vulnerable as a leader in front of other people and then to share emotion instead of just being mechanical and robotic as a leader. It's the hard skill, not the yes. soft skill. Yes. We need to come up with a new name. You've heard it first here, guys. We're going to come up. No. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Peter. It's, I just get so carried away in these conversations and I'm sure our listeners can hear that I kind of just you know we we had a brief conversation about what are we going to talk about I was like I don't know let's just chat like I just yeah, love let's the see chat where it goes. <laughs> yeah absolutely it's been great it's been so fun it's been a little bit cathartic as well I guess you've asked me questions that I hadn't thought about and most importantly I probably haven't vocalized before so You've got something that I've never shared with others, and now there's probably you know a couple of thousand people that have just heard. <laughs> Do you want it. me to make you a bit nervous? It's a lot more than a couple of thousand. <laughs> oh, tens of thousands. Seventy-five countries. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but that's okay. Just take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I say that to one of our guests at the end, I always think, oh, do I let them in and let them really know how many people are going to be listening to this conversation yeah. or do I just keep them in that little bubble of like, again, maybe only a few hundred? <laughs> well, I think it's really nice that we felt close together, but it's it's great that other people are learning 
from yes. this. And it's great that you're able to tease it out. So I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. I'm sure this isn't the last time we're going to be seeing you. And just a reminder for our audience, because lots of people did ask me, I actually got phone calls and DMs after our episode. They were like, I had questions like, do you think he's going to be the right coach for me? Should I reach out? Particularly around anyone that's sitting there right now thinking, I don't want to be in this job anymore, but I'm too scared to take the leap. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how I'm going to manage. I don't know. I don't know. Just lots of those kind of I don't know. And so, how will people find you? Uh, they can go to one of my websites. Probably the easiest one is www.holtman.com.au. That's H-O-L-T-M-A-N-N.com.au. Or they can find me on my email, which is peter at holtman.com.au. And that's probably the easiest way to start a conversation. And a lot of people don't pick up the phone or don't reach out because they don't know what what it's going to look like when they do. So let's just have a one-minute conversation about that. If someone does ring you or does email you, what would that look like? The most common questions I get on an email is, hey, I'm looking to change something about me or about my career and I don't know where to start. And my response back is, Number one, thanks for reaching out to me and, and having some trust that we can have an, an initial conversation. And then let's let's continue that conversation to see what change looks like. So good because I, that's sometimes what people need to know what it looks like next so that they can just make that decision, is this the right moment for them to reach out? Yeah, it's about building their confidence to make the next steps. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Surely. That was great. I really love talking to Peter. I find his honesty refreshing and inspiring. I know that there are a few of you that messaged me to say that you were thinking about working with him after the last episode. I hope you got in touch and if you didn't, then now might be the right time. If you're still interested, make sure you reach out to him this week. I will pop all of his details in the show notes. I hope you all have a great week and if you know someone in your world that could benefit from this conversation today, please share this episode with them and I will see you all next Monday with the bells on. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode. 